0: right then, are we all doing all right? So, as you know, for those who've been with us the last few weeks, we are carrying on and continuing the series that is known as The Last Words at the Cross, okay? And that's what we're doing. So first of all, before I crack on with the next session, a little story, which I like to do every now and again. So if you join us online, it's great to see you, a little story coming up. So, casting mind back a few years ago, when Shan and I first got married, We managed to get a few holidays B.C., before children, okay? Now, we went to the north of Italy, which is um, near the province of Venice. I think it was called Lido de Gisolo. Now, that is it in a a Welsh accent. I'm sure it sounds a lot more Italian, coming from an Italian. Anyway, so we're in the Venice area, and we decided to go for an evening trip, excursion, into Venice itself, Okay? and we were going to catch a taxi. The only thing is with Venice, if you're going to catch a taxi, it really means a boat. It's not an actual taxi with wheels, or you'll be very damp getting there. So, Sean, picture this, she is six weeks pregnant with our first child, Samuel, who's getting married in July. See you, Sam. Yeah, yes. Anyway, uh, little shout out to Sam. So, yeah, so Sean was six weeks pregnant with Sam. So I didn't can't remember quite how long it was to get into Venice, but it's going to take a little bit of time. So we're on this taxi, which is actually a boat, and we're on there. And Sean, who does not drink fizzy drinks, we're halfway into this journey. He's like, Adam, I'm really thirsty. I've got to have a drink of pop now. I'm like, oh, hang on. No, I don't have any on me, sorry. And this boat is like a taxi. So there's like six people on there, and the driver, the pilot, or whatever, you know, the person who drives the thing is. And I'm like, oh, we're stuck now, because there is no like duty-free or anything on this boat. So I'm, I'm like this to the guy trying to speak English slash with an Italian accent, She so can understand me. Wife, pregnant, thirsty, can I have a drink? And he's like, oh, no, 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 got nothing, got nothing. No drinks, no drinks. And of course, when someone is pregnant, and they need something right now. That means you've got to have it right now. So I was like, what are the options here? Can I scoop up a bit of water and boil it down? No, don't have that equipment on me at the moment. So I'm pleading with this guy. And then he opens his fridge and he shows me a little bit of food and a can of Fanta Pop. And I'm like, "Ah." Oh. Please, can I have Fanta Pop? And it turns out it's his packed lunch, okay? That's all he's got is his packed lunch and his can of Fanta. So I'm pleading with him that I could have his Fanta Pop. And we finally agreed on a price, okay? I think this was just prior to the euro kicking in. So it was lira. I don't know what the equivalent rate is. That's all I can remember was offering him five times the amount it would be to buy a can of Pop. Alright, so if you were to buy a can of pop from a local petrol station these days, it'd be 80 pence, times that by 5, I don't know, what is that, 4 quid? I don't know. I offered him 5 times the amount, and he agreed to it there and then. So, success. I handed the can of pop to Sean and she necked it in one go. Fair play to her. She's like that with her lager. No, no, she's not really. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so her thirst was quenched in that moment of new life, carrying Sam, who was just 6, six weeks in the belly at the time, okay, and then fast forwarding eight years later, now Sean, you've had children, Sean has lost her mum to illness, and she was nursing her dad through his last final hours, uh, Sean and her sister Sarah, in a hospice down in Llanelli there, and uh, so, David was in palliative care, and it was like coming towards the end of his life, and it was very peaceful As Sian and his sister were there, praying, and just, you know, seeing to him in the last moments. And one significant thing Sean was, was saying is that how, in those final moments, it was like he was aware of what was going on, it was peaceful, and they were like damping down his tongue and his lips area with, with water, because that was like the only kind of response uh, to him in these final moments. And Shan said it was like a little stick with a little bit of sponge on the end of it, and she was just uh, dabbing the, the water around his lips, and his tongue would poke out and take a little sip of water in those final times. And the body was like shutting down, but there was still this thirst, and Shan found this personal contact and care was very important in these final moments. So I wanted to share these two scenarios with us this morning, because it kind of highlights... You know, new life and birth and the excitement of that. But then, of course, the sadness of death and the final times and how, you know, that is kind of the story for us in reality. It is life and death. But what is amazing is that Jesus has been there before us, knows us, made us, created us. And these kind of illustrations are to help us find a specific things that God would like to communicate to us by Jesus' death on the cross. It kind of magnifies the sadness of death, but also the humanity of Jesus, and also reveals the victory of Jesus, who bought us a new life through obedience on the cross. So I'm going to read the verses. These are the last words that we've been looking at the series. I'm going to read them through for us this morning, and then we'll take a look at what God was getting at through all of this. John 19. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, "'I am thirsty.' A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge up on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips." When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, the significance here is the humanity of Christ, a real man who feels what we feel, who understands the struggles, who understands the need of humanity. At the end of the day, God created us. So Jesus said here in verse 28, I am thirsty. So at the basic level, as humans, we have needs. The need to breathe, the need to drink, the need to eat, the need to sleep, to survive and to exist. Of course, there's other things, shelter and love and all these other things as well, which participate in, in us as humans. So here John emphasizes the basic humanity of Jesus. I am thirsty. So there's this, in his body, he has thirst. And this is the God-man, the Rescuer, the Saviour, the Messiah. Matthew 23, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. Which we hear about the Christmas message, God with us. And we know other verses and stories in the Bible and accounts where Jesus showed and proved his humanity... In John 11, when Lazarus had died, we hear that Jesus wept. He wept for his friend, the grief, the sadness. We read in Mark 11, verse 12, that he was leaving Bethany, and Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. If you remember, Can you remember him cursing the fig tree because the fig tree wasn't producing fruit? Jesus was hungry. So this is God's willingness to humble himself, become a man, and endure on our behalf. And in Jesus' humanity, his body experiences thirst on the cross. And he goes all through this so that we have access to a relationship with God. Jesus promises us a living water, a living life relationship with God. So when Jesus says he's thirsty, we kind of have a flashback of the account in John chapter 4, and the woman at the well. Can you remember that story of the Samaritan lady? Well, first of all, in verse 6 and chapter 4, jesus it says Jesus was tired as he was from the journey, and he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So Jesus also experienced his tiredness, and he would often retreat to rest and to pray in the presence of the Father. Now, do you ever get tired? Just check if anyone's yawning here yet. <laughs> Do you ever get tired? The early mornings, the working hard, the giving out, the physical tiredness. Maybe there's something emotional and playing on us and, and we find it you know, wearing and tired and draining. And we get tired from the experience. God knows our human condition and Jesus experienced it, everything about it. God knows. He knows the journey. He knows what's going on. And we continue to read in that account that Jesus sat by the well and the Samaritan woman was there and he asked her for a drink and, of course, they have this conversation and Jesus brings a conversation about living water, which is more than the physical requirements. It was more importantly about the spiritual benefit of having a relationship with God So it is so important to look after ourselves physically and all the needs that we have. But the spiritual benefit of knowing a loving God is so critical and crucial. In John 4 verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water Welling up to eternal life. So there's eternal consequences and spiritual satisfaction to be found in a relationship with Jesus. Here in the natural and in in this conversation, Jesus deals with this whole confrontation difficulty between Samaritans and Jews. Because they were a, a people group who didn't mix and there was confrontation and difficulty and Jesus addresses this through his conversation and his love towards this woman. The woman had a reputation, and that's why she was there at noon to keep it the way from, from the other members of the community. And she was there at the well, and Jesus met with her. And in the conversation, Jesus says, you know, do you have a husband? And this conversation goes on. It turns out that she's had five husbands, and the person she's with now is, is not her husband. So there's this thing about relationship and finding love and those things that were going on in this lady's life. And Jesus spoke into that. He spoke into her life and her situation. He wanted to bring love and explain to her about this living water that can be found in a relationship with God. And God goes into the depths of our being, into the depths of our need, into the spiritual stuff of life, that there is this walk on earth that we have, But there's the eternal walk and relationship that we have in him. So, through this, let's be encouraged that Jesus walked a life that each of us has walked. And he knows firsthand our challenges in life. He went before us and he won victory over death so that we may have a relationship with God. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, perfect, without sin, had overcome all temptation and strife that was aimed towards him. And we can find confidence to trust God and place our faith with him. Now John includes information as to how Jesus was offered a drink. So it's more to it than just face value words. Let's read verse 29 there. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So here John says that the vinegar was offered up to Jesus' lips with a sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't specify the hyssop plant. It just says a type of stalk or a stick. So this extra information by John is interesting. And let's have a look at it for a moment. If you were to go back a few centuries, back to the first Passover, when the night when the children of Israel left slavery in Egypt... We read that the angel of death was to strike the firstborn son of the Egyptians. We know about Pharaoh's resistance to God and in capturing Israel into slavery and not letting them go. And we read on that the Israelites were to slay a lamb and smear its blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over their house. This was the instruction to Israel back in Exodus 12, 22. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of your doorframe. None of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. So the blood of the Passover lamb saved the people of God and it was the blood of Jesus that would save the world. So the whole mention of the hyssop would capture the hearts of Jewish listeners because of the significance of the saving blood of the Passover lamb. And this way, John was saying, Jesus is the great Passover lamb of God, whose death was to save the whole world from sin. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8.3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have, and in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his Son as a sacrifice for our sins. So, any of us who walks this earth, we will understand the challenge of the sinful nature at work in our lives. We may want to be 100% perfect and do everything right and be non offensive to anyone and get 100% spot on every day. We'd love to do that, but can we do that? Can we not? <laughs> But we know the forgiveness and the blessing and the peace of God and that Jesus died for that sin that takes place. Jesus was the perfect human with no sin. He experienced temptation, he experienced many things, and he held fast. Jesus' sacrifice frees us from the eternal consequences of sin, which is death, and we find grace by faith in Jesus. So, the workload is taken from us because we can trust in Jesus and have faith in him, and God has done the work for us. So, Jesus is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist words in John 1, 29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So, in this Easter season, we can again reflect upon the saving grace of God. And not just reflect upon it, know it for our lives. Know the truth of Jesus' saving grace. So the next thing we read after Jesus has taken a drink is this. Verse 30, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now in the Gospel of John, we read, Jesus said, it is finished. Now, in the three other Gospels, it states that Jesus cried out in a loud voice or called out. And this word, it is finished, in the Greek is tetelestai. It means it is finished. It stands finished. It will always be finished. It is completed. Jesus' death, it is completed. The sacrifice of sin allows us to know God Because Jesus has gone all the way for us. It is finished. It stands finished. It will always be finished. It is complete. Jesus called out a cried out. A victory cry. If anyone has ever seen Braveheart and that terrible scene where he's, he's, you know, all the rest of it. But he cries out freedom, doesn't he? So you, you imagine the crying out. Jesus saying, it is finished. His suffering has finished on the cross. And many of the Old Testament prophecies were being completed there and then. The once-for-all sacrifice for sin was completed. Now, there's some examples of that usage of this word, tetelestai, and it has these kind of meanings or connotations, okay? A servant would use it when reporting to his or her master, I have completed the work assigned to me. When an artist completed a picture or a writer completed their document or work, they might say, it is finished, it is completed. When a priest examined an animal sacrifice and found it faultless and perfect, it would also apply to that. Jesus is the perfect lamb of God without blemish and without fault. Now, another very strong example to consider is this. A merchant would use the word to mean the debt is paid in full. It is complete. The transaction has been completed. It is accomplished. It is done. The debt is paid. So Jesus' death on the cross, the debt of sin and death is paid because God loved us and helped us through Jesus' life and work on the cross. If you are to consider a loan, as anyone you would ever had a loan, I hate getting loans. If you've got to buy a car, you haven't got any money, you've got to get a loan. So annoying, isn't it? But anyway, you get a loan, and then by month, by month, by month, it's gradually getting down and down and down. Till the end, you get the statement through from the bank, Mr. Adam Day, your bank loan is complete, it's done, the balance is zero, you don't have to pay us any more money, the debt is paid in full. That is what God has done for us. The debt is paid in full, the balance is zero, we don't have to pay anything or give out in any way. Jesus has done it for us. The debt is paid in full. So our response is simply this, is to believe the message, to know Jesus in a real way, to put our faith in him. We have then spiritually receive Christ with all that comes with his completed work, eternal life and not death. So today, let's remember, tetelestai, it is finished. There is nothing to add and there is nothing we can take away. The job is done. And that's why Paul mentions many times in the New Testament not to trust people or listen to their stories when there are other things to do to get to know God and to get to heaven and daddy, da da. It's a load of tosh. Because Jesus has gone all the way for us by the work he has done. So it is important to know that. When we read these new up and come in, uh, new ideas about knowing God, etc. Well, we know here that the work is done and completed by Jesus. Isn't that good? It is good, isn't it? Right then, finally, last little bit. We note that Jesus completed God's rescue plan for humankind. He finished the mission. This is Paul writing to the Galatians, okay? Galatians 1, 3 to 4. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us, from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So, God's plan all along was to save us by Jesus' death. We have been rescued from the power of this world. So, in that world, we recognize and see cruelty, tragedy, temptation, deception, but we're being rescued. We're not being taken away and out of the world. It doesn't mean that. But we're no longer enslaved to it. We're not enslaved to cruelty and tragedy and temptation and deception because God has brought something new for us, a new life, something where we can know his love and his compassion. And whatever comes along in this worldly experience that we get, we have been rescued and we have been saved by Jesus. Now, a prisoner of war, for example, might be enslaved or held captive by the enemy's forces. A rescue mission could be attempted to free the prisoner from the grip and influence of the enemy to a place of security and safety. God provides a rescue for us through Jesus. So we're not enslaved or held captive by the enemy. We have a fantastic organization, the lifeboat crews around the country, which provide emergency rescue for those caught in life-threatening danger at sea. Now, a rescuer might risk their own safety to bring rescue to the struggling victim. We know that through Jesus walking the earth, bringing rescue to us, as a man going all the way, his own comforts, set aside to be on board, listening to the Father's will, going all the way 100% for us. God has always been the rescuer and it has been completed in Christ, one who rescues us from those dangers. And Psalm 18 says this, verses 16 to 19, gives us a little bit of an idea of God's love. He reached down from on high, and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters, and he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes, who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So this morning, let's know. That in the midst of trouble and disaster, and where we feel conditions around us are too strong for us, there is this saving grace of God that can help us transform our lives. Whether that be through the own decisions that we make, as we make ourselves obedient to his commandments and his love and his grace, and we work through issues, and things going on in our lives, we find the work of God taking place, God's intervention in the midst of trouble. In our weaknesses, God is found to be strong in our weaknesses. When disaster is on our doorstep, God is our support. And we reach here, he brings us into a spacious place. What does that mean? Well, a place of hope, a place of potential, a place of new ground. And he rescues us because he loves us. And we know that through his actions and through what he's done. Now, I remember, you know, sometimes you remember things which happen in your childhood for some reason, certain things. I got this one thing that sticks in my mind, and it was a day out of Temby with my family. We were three boys, me, Leon, and Alex, my mum and dad. And my dad thought he'd go for a swim in the sea in Temby, all right? And um, he'd only just had food now, that's not why he's normally, is it? And he does like a bit a good plate of food, to be fair to him. So he'd had about 55 sandwiches, and then thought he'd go for a swim. But I can remember this, being a young child, is my dad crying out for help when he was out of his depth in the water, because he was, like, drowning. <laughs> that's not funny, I know. But it's, <laughs> the memory is stuck with me. It's just because of the consequences of what... Could have happened. So there was, there was like I think it was a chap like in a pedal boat thing. who was out in the sea, and my dad grabbed hold of that. And thankfully, that gentleman was there because my dad was struggling. But it brought me an earlier memory of what it was to be rescued. You know, when you're out of your depths and you're in trouble and you can't do anything for yourself, to have someone who can come along and rescue you, and what would have been the knock-on consequences had that rescue not taken place? it's It's a very sobering thought. So today, just to sum up really, is let's remember Jesus' thirst on the cross, his reality of knowing us as human beings, and also the finishing work of Jesus that he went all the way for us, for us to know God and his rescue plan for us all. So let's close our eyes and I'll close in praying. Yes, so we thank you that through your sacrifice on the cross for going on the way for conquering sin for conquering death and giving us this hope of eternal life in knowing you the reality that is to be found in your kindness and your compassion and your forgiveness for knowing our life stories our life's journey the struggles and the strains that we have along the way that you provide us a rescue plan Lord and we're grateful to you for that right now Holy Spirit, we ask you to continue to reveal your love and compassion for our lives as people, as individuals. If ever we feel we're alone or in a lonely place and have no help, then Holy Spirit, breathe in your love and compassion now to show us the way of community, to show us the way of Christ, to help us make those wise, discerning decisions in our life to experience love, forgiveness, and compassion in such a full way. So we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.